we're talking about them, the difficult people in our lives. You know them, right? It's hard to work for them. It's hard to be friends with them. It's hard to be in a relationship with them. It's hard to be married to them. Don't say amen, ladies. It's Father's Day. We find them at home, at work, at school, in our neighborhoods, wherever we go. Them are always there. <laughs> Last week, though, we said that before we could talk about them, that, that we have to admit that all of us probably are or have been a them for somebody. At one time or another, we're all them. And throughout these series, we may take some jabs at them. We may make some funnies on, uh, in their direction. We might make some remarks that seem harsh about them, but never forget this. God loves them. Just remember that. God loves them. And in his word, he shows us how to love them and how to care for them and how to, to support them and put up with them and minister to them. Now, if you were here last week, we talked about needy people, not the financially needy necessarily. We were talking about those chronically, consistently in need, overly dependent on other people people. Today, we're going to talk about the control freaks, the manipulators. So let me get a show of hands. How many of you know or have known someone at some point in your life who, who tried to control you, manipulate you, you know, impose their will on your life? Lift your hand up high where I can see it, please. Will you give me a wave like this so I can see where you are? How about put both hands up like this? Say, I just want to see how much control I have over you today. There's, a, there's an ancient joke about... Uh, two lines at the entrance to heaven. And one line is lined up under a sign that says, men who were controlled by their wives. And in that line, there are men that stretch as far as the eye can see. And then there's another line. And that line is lined up under a sign, men who were not controlled by their wives. And in that line, bless his heart, there's just one little old guy. And St. Peter's watching all this, right? He's monitoring the lines, and he goes over to the guy in line by himself, and he, he points to the sign, men who were not controlled by their wives. He says to the poor guy, what are you doing here? And the guy says, I don't know, man. My wife told me to stand over here in this line, shut up, don't ask any questions. <laughs> so, so how do we deal with them? How do we deal with controlling, manipulative people? Well, I think God's Word has some, some things to say to us, some things that can help us. And one thing the Bible shows us is that they have been around since the beginning of time. We have always had control freaks with us. It is an age-old issue. Let's take a quick look at three control freaks or control freak situations in the Bible. We're not going to go very deep into background or the story, but I'll, I'll give you the, the scripture references. You can read them on your own later if you want to know more about the story. But in the Old Testament, in the book of Genesis, chapter 25, we read about two brothers, Jacob and Esau. And they were twins, but Esau was the firstborn son by a few seconds, few minutes perhaps. 
And because of that, that meant that he held the birthright. And in that culture, that meant some very, very important things. It meant that he had some advantages when it came to the inheritance. When it came to the, the disposition of the father's estate at the time of his death, the, the one who held the birthright was in a very, very advantageous position. It meant that he, he had uh, some advantages when it came to authority, that in the absence of his father, he was the one that everyone in the family would look to when a decision needed to be made or something needed to be done. He had some positional advantages in that culture simply because he was the firstborn son by a few seconds over his twin brother. He held the birthright. Now, wouldn't be a Bible story without some drama, would it? You see, Jacob and his mother, they thought Jacob should have the birthright. Jacob's kind of an intellectual guy. Okay, in our day, he'd be like a stay-in-the-house-and-read-a-book and guy. Esau was the go out in the fields, go out in the woods, go hunting and fishing, outdoorsy kind of guy. And so for whatever reason, Jacob and his mother, probably after many conversations, decided that Jacob should be the one that had the birthright and not Esau. Well, one day Esau's been out in the woods. He's been hunting, maybe fishing, doing his thing. And when he gets home, he's, he's famished. And, and Jacob is doing some cooking. And he's got this nice big pot of stew going. And Esau says, oh, man, you're going to share that with me, right? You're going to give me some of that. I'm so hungry, I'm about to die. And Jacob, watch what a control freak does. Jacob sees an opportunity in somebody else's need, an opportunity to exert control, an opportunity to take control, to make things happen that he wants to happen. So Jacob says, oh, you want some of this stew here? This stew with the potatoes and the carrots and tomatoes and a couple of big old hunks of dead cow. Been cooking all day. You want some of this stew? You got to give me your birthright. Now, this was either the most amazing stew in culinary history, or Esau's not too smart, or maybe a combination of both, or maybe Esau thought, Jacob's, he's joking. He can't, this, surely he doesn't think I'm going to trade him, you know, give him my birthright for a, for a bowl of this soup, even if I am hungry, even if it does sound good. It, nah, he, but whatever the reason, he agrees. And, he, and Jacob uses that power play to manipulate his older brother right out of his birthright. And let me tell you, it sets the tone for the rest of the history in the Old Testament. And in fact, even into the New Testament. And then there's Samson and Delilah. You may remember that story. Samson was an Israelite. He was like the strongest man in the world. And God had said, uh, you know, there's some certain reasons why that's true. But one of the reasons is because you don't cut your hair. As long as you don't cut your hair, you'll have this amazing strength. Now, the Israelites had some enemies. They were the Philistines. And, and Samson, on more than one occasion, had gotten in the way of the Philistines' plans to conquer and dominate Israel. And so they wanted to know, what's the deal with this one guy? What's it, where's his strength coming from? And so they recruit a young woman to kind of go undercover and pretend to be in love with Samson, pretend to be his girlfriend, and learn the secret of his strength. And so over and over again, Delilah's like, honey, darling, Love you, Pooh. 
you are so strong. Can I feel your mother? Ooh, like a rock under there. You are so strong. What's your secret? What's the secret of that? <laughs> Samson is, he's kind of guilty of having a little fun with her. In that he, he just, over and over again, he gives her the wrong answer. He says, well, if you tie me up with bowstring, you know, like you put on a bow that you hunt with, if you tie me up with bowstring, that'll do it. And of course, she does that, and it doesn't do it. He breaks it easily. He says, no, no, I was teasing you. If you tie me up with a new rope, that will do it. And he busts out of that as well. And then in one of the strange things, and I'm not sure why he would say this, but he's getting closer and closer to the truth. Notice this. He says, if you will lock my hair, kind of weave my hair and lock it into a, a weaver's loom, then that'll take my strength away. And of course, the men, she does it, and the men come rushing in, and he shakes it off and takes them all down. But you got to give Delilah this. She wouldn't give up. And I just want to show you what the Bible says here, okay? I don't want you to get mad at me. I want you to see what the Bible says. In Judges chapter 16, verse 15. Then Delilah pouted. Typical. No. Ooh. Sometimes I don't know if I just think that or if I've said it. I can't even tell until you react. Then Delilah pouted. How can you tell me I love you when you don't share your secrets with me? You've just made fun of me three times now and you still haven't told me what makes you so strong. But here's where it gets funny. Verse 16. Now, just in case you need a humor transplant or you're sitting next to somebody that does, you just give them the elbow, give them the nudge. This is where you should be laughing, okay? Let's read it out loud together, verse 16. Read that out loud together with me, okay? She tormented him with her nagging day after day until he was sick to death of it. Now, that's funny right there. I mean, she just nagged and nagged and nagged until Samson got sick of it. Hey, I surrender, woman. I give up. The King James Version says she vexed his soul unto death. <laughs> All the men are going, I can relate. No, that, thus saith the Lord. Not don't. Thus saith the Lord. She just goes on and on and on. And finally, Samson says, I, I can't take it anymore. Okay? Hey, cut my hair. Take my strength. Kill me. Please just shut up. <laughs> and then in the New Testament, in Mark chapter 6, there's, a, there's the account of two women who manipulated the king of Israel, who manipulated King Herod. In that story, and this takes place in the time of Jesus' life on the earth. This is while Jesus was around. But in that story, Herod throws himself a birthday party. He has hundreds of guests. He may have been drinking a little bit too much, but he says to his stepdaughter, the daughter of his wife Herodias, he says, I want you to dance for me and my guests. And she does, and it really must have been some dance. I mean, it really must have been something else. We don't know how it compares to Jacob's miracle stew, but it was so amazing that King Herod said, you can have anything you want. Up to half my kingdom. You just name it, it's yours. Now, the dancing daughter goes to her mom, Herodias, and says, what do I ask for? Give me some advice here. And it just so happened that Herod had a prisoner named John the Baptist. We've all heard of him. And it further so happens that Herodias, Herod's wife, despised 
John the Baptist, because he had called her out publicly in her sinfulness and her wickedness. He just pointed her right out, called her down in public. She hated him. So she says to her daughter, you go tell the king, you want the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And so these two women manipulate Herod. They basically back him into a corner. You said it. You said it in front of your guests. You promised it publicly. Whatever she wants, she can have. John the Baptist's severed head. That's it. That's what she wants. And so King Herod ends up doing something he doesn't want to do, and he takes the life of John the Baptist. See, control, manipulation, control freaks are not a recent discovery. They've been around forever, and they are everywhere. And too often in our lives, we allow other people to control us, to pull our strings. Sometimes they're trying to hurt us, but other times they really do have our best interest at heart. doesn't matter. The bottom line is that we end up surrendering the direction of our lives to someone other than God. So how do control freaks operate? Well, that's, there's three common tactics of control and manipulation. If you're taking notes, here's the first one. Control freaks use flattery. You know this guy, right? You've worked with him. The suck-up. The brown-noser. You know what I'm talking about, right? Great idea, boss. Great presentation, man. Sure to appreciate your leadership, boss. You're the best. That guy reminds me of that little dog in the cartoon. What are we going to do today, Spike? What are we going to do today, huh? Where are we going to go? What are we going to do today, Spike? Can I have next week off? Or the woman who says, oh, I love your hair. Have you been losing weight? Those shoes are so cute. Men don't talk to each other like that, ladies. <laughs> you never heard one man say to another, oh, I love your top. <laughs> stuff doesn't happen. No, we say stuff like, uh, man, you, you, you're getting ripped there. You working out? And we go, a little. <laughs> Most of the time, though, we can tell the difference between sincere appreciation and somebody just trying to get over on us, right? Somebody trying to get our favor, get us to do something they want to do. And maybe more common than flattery is threats. Control freaks will use threats. Well, if you do that, or you don't do this, I promise you, you'll regret it. I'm going to hang up on you. I'll never talk to you again. We won't be friends anymore. You'll never see your kids again. I'm not going to call you. You don't want me to tell them what you said about them, do you? And they will use our fear. They will go on and on threatening us, using our fear against us, using fear to get what they want. And there's one more. Control freaks are masters at manipulating others through guilt. Well, I, I thought we were friends. I, th I thought I could count on you. I, I thought we were tight. Obviously, we're, we're not as good of friends as I thought. That's, no, that's, that's on me. I, I know now I, I can't depend on you. And, well, if that's how you want to be after all I've done for you, you call yourself a Christian? Talking to me, treating me like that? 
Oh, I, I see how it is. Okay, okay, okay. No, 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 no. You all just go on without me. I'll stay here by myself. Maybe watch a little TV, turn in early, cry myself to sleep. You know, if you really loved me, you would. But obviously, you don't love me. And so they will flatter us and threaten us and try to make us feel guilty. And they will bribe us and scare us and deceive us. But make no mistake, there are a lot of otherwise decent people who come into our lives. And sometimes knowingly, often unknowingly, they will, they will try to grab the reins and lead us to places that we don't need to go or don't want to go or shouldn't be. So what do we do? How do we handle that? How do we handle it when we see that someone is trying to manipulate us or control us? How do we break the power of the control freaks in our lives? What I want to do today is suggest a prayer approach. Because it's so important for us to be led by the Holy Spirit in our relationships. And what we don't want to do is substitute our own selfish will and desires for the other person's, right? We don't, well, I don't want just to impose my own will and do what I think is right in this situation. Instead, I need to ask God to give me some direction, give me some wisdom when I'm dealing with control freaks. So I've got for you today three prayers that we can pray when we're faced with control and manipulation. And here's the first one. If you're taking notes. God, help me to recognize when someone is trying to control me. Help me to recognize it, God, when somebody's trying to control me, to manipulate me. Let's just be honest. A lot of us have been in dysfunction so long, we don't really recognize it anymore. It's just kind of become normal for us, hasn't it? That's like we've been abnormal for so long that normal seems subnormal. We've been in dysfunctional families or relationships or systems for so long, we don't recognize it. And so we've got these people in our lives and they play us and we play right along. And they lead us down a path and we just follow them. And we don't even recognize that they're threatening us or that they're using shame or making us feel guilty or leading us to do something that's not in our best interest, something that's not for God's glory. There's a very interesting incident that took place in the life of Jesus and his followers. And it came at about the midpoint through Jesus' ministry. Suddenly, Jesus was not just, he was not only teaching, he was not only healing, he was not only doing these amazing things, but he began to reveal to his disciples, there's more to this, there's an end to this, and I want you to know what's going to happen as we approach the end. And so he drew his inner circle friends to him, and he, and he just lays out his cause and his purpose in front of them, and he says things like this, here's why I came. I've got to lay down my life. I've got to give my life, and I'm going to be treated terribly and it's going to get ugly but I'm doing this because God sent me and I'm doing it for you it's for you that I'm going to give my life and I'm going to die but I'm going to come back I'm going to be raised from the dead and in Matthew chapter 16 verse 21 22 it says from then on Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders the leading priests and the teachers of religious law he would be killed, but on the third day he would be raised from the dead. Now, in verse 22, 
Watch Peter try to take control of the situation. What does he do first? What did Peter do? What does it say? Peter took, took him aside. Why? Why did he do that? Because a control freak's power is diluted in a group. You ever been in a meeting? You ever led a meeting where it seems like everybody's in agreement? But then the meeting adjourns and kind of breaks up. People start going their separate ways, and somebody comes up to you and says, uh, I just want you to know I don't agree with that. I think we should have done this. <laughs> Why didn't you say something during the meeting? Well, because in the meeting, they would have just been one voice among five or eight or 12 or 20. And their influence would have been diluted. No, you know what they'll do? After the meeting, they'll get on the phone. And they'll call everybody that was at the meeting and go, I, did, I just think you ought to know I don't agree with that. I think we should be doing this. When you get that phone call, you need to know you've got a control freak on the other end of the line, and you probably should hang up. It's easier for them to manipulate you if they can get you by yourself, cut you out of the herd, and get you by yourself. So Peter takes Jesus aside. And watch this. The Bible's full of amazing phrases. Peter takes Jesus aside and begins to reprimand him for saying such things. Peter's reprimanding Jesus. That just cracks me up. Heaven forbid, Lord, he said, this will never happen to you. Now let's make sure we know something here. Some people are very intentional control freaks. They know exactly what they're doing and why they're doing it like the abusive husband who uses his power and threats to control his wife. Or the wife who withholds affection or intimacy from her husband to manipulate and control him or punish him. The bully who somehow only seems to threaten younger, smaller children at school. Those types all know exactly what they're doing. But, it, but, but maybe... Maybe the most common form of control and manipulation does not come from someone who dislikes us. No, on the contrary, it comes from someone who loves us and simply wants what they believe is best for us. I think that's what's going on with Peter here. I don't think he has any evil motive. I don't think he wants to be the you know, power behind the master. I think he's like, Jesus, I love you. I don't want you to die. I'll do whatever it takes to, to prevent that from happening. But think about it, for all his good intentions, Peter was trying to stand between Jesus and God's will for Jesus. He was standing in the way of God's will for Jesus. You and I have people like that in our lives, people who love us, people who, who, who love us. They're like, no, no, you don't want to do that with your life. You're better than that. You can do more than that. No, 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 not, not that job. Not that person, not that relationship, not that church, not that missions trip. And that person, for all their good intentions, may be standing between us and where God wants us to be. Or what God wants us to do. So how can we know that, that there's a person like that in our lives? We ask a couple questions. One of the questions is this. Who do I find it hard to say no to? Because I might hurt their feelings. Or they might get mad at me. They might get upset. Or I feel guilty. 
or I want to please them. I want them to like me. If I say no, they won't like me anymore. And then the second question we ask is, would I compromise my values to please this person? Would, would I compromise my values? Would I do something I know isn't right or something that I know isn't important to me or something I know I don't want to do just to please them? It can happen in a dating relationship. It can happen in a friendship. It can happen in a work relationship. Somebody is trying to persuade us to do something we don't want to do, something we know isn't right. Oh, come on, this one time can't hurt. Why can one time hurt? I mean, come on. Oh, oh yeah, I forgot. You're goody two-shoes now, right, since you go to church. You're, you're a churchgoer now, so you're, you're better than us. <laughs> they don't hate us. I, they love us. They, they want to hang out with us. But they manipulate us, and before long, we let someone lead us to something that we don't want to do or someplace that we don't want to be. And that's why we pray, God, help me to be able to recognize. Help me to know when someone is manipulating me, when they are standing in between me and you and what you want from me. Help me to see it. This is the second prayer. That we can pray when we're faced with control and manipulation is this. God, empower me to put healthy boundaries in place. God, empower me. Give me the courage and the will and the resolve to put some healthy boundaries in place. Not to be a jerk. That's not what I'm talking about. But to put some boundaries, some healthy, some good boundaries in place. To say, there's some new rules here. And I'm not going to deal with you on the basis of the old rules, the old ways anymore. And you know what? It would be harder for us to put a bigger boundary in place than Jesus did with Peter. When Peter said, no, 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 I'm not going to let you die. Look at what Jesus says in verse 23. Jesus turned to Peter and said, get away from me, Satan. <laughs> you talk about a boundary. Jesus, why so harsh, man? Jesus says, you are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. And I, man, I, I wish I had prepared better. I would have had a, a mousetrap up here. I'm going to try to communicate this anyway without the visual. When Jesus says you're a, you're a trap for me, you're a deadly trap, uh, the NIV, I think, says you are a stumbling block to me. The word is scandalon in the original language. Scandalon. What word, English word do we get from that? That's right. You get the word scandal. But what it literally meant in that language was on a mousetrap. You know when you set a mousetrap and there's that part that if you just barely touch it, pow, that trap will snap. That is literally what it meant. That was the scandal on. That was the, that's the tripping point of a trap. So what Jesus is saying to Peter is, that's you. You're that, you're that tripping point on that rat trap. And if I'm not careful, if I deviate, if I move off of where I'm supposed to be, people are going to get hurt. So, so the next time your grandma's trying to control you, you just look at her and say, get away from me, Satan. <laughs> no. Don't do this. Not really. If you do, don't tell her I said that. Well, we need to understand that other people really can be a trap for us. 
They really can be a trap. If they're leading us to do something that's not right or that's not God's best for us, then it hurts us. And that's why we have to change the game and draw a line in the sand and put some healthy boundaries into place. So when the kids are throwing a fit, we just say, hey, guess what? You can keep flopping on the floor like a dying fish, but you ain't getting no candy. <laughs> and when, furthermore, when we get home after supper, you're going to bed without any dessert. Because you can try to embarrass me and you can threaten me, but there are some new rules. You're no longer in control. I was so proud of this guy last yesterday at Dollar General. I can't tell you how. I don't even know who he was. I, I want to meet him. I hope I see him again sometime. Little girl pitching a fit. She said, and she said, Daddy, you're always nice to me, but you never buy me any presents. <laughs> and I'm thinking, I'm standing there waiting to check out. I'm thinking, I might give in to that. That might work on me. He just had her zoned out, man, tuned out. He said, no, I'm done. I've already paid. Let's go. Oh, she turns on the tears and the water work and follows him out, but he stood strong. I'm proud of him. Don't even know him. I'm proud of him. <laughs> or we might have to say to a friend, listen, you can pout and you can hang up on me and you can go silent, right, not answer my text. You can threaten. You can walk away, but I want you to know I'm still going to love you. But that stuff's not going to work on me anymore. I'm not going to jump. I'm not going to dance to your tune when it comes to that stuff anymore. We're still friends. There's just some new rules here. Or, or to that person at work, it's always riding our, riding us. It's always riding us. We say, you know, they, they say, I'll get you in trouble. I'll get you fired. I'll get your job. Then we say to them, well, then why don't you go ahead and do it? Hey, how about you follow through on your threats? You know what? I was looking for a job when I found this one. I'm not going to give in to that stuff anymore. You see, I believe with all my heart that there are people here today who are in situations and the situations that are coming between you and what God wants for you. Between you and where God wants you to be. And it might involve a person who really loves you. And they have great intentions. Just like Peter did. But they're trying to impose their will on you in the place of God's will. That's why we ask God to help us. To put some new boundaries in place. That's why we say, there's got to be some new rules and I'm not going to let you control me. Because I want to be under the power of God and no one and nothing else. And let me tell you one more reason why this is so important. Because if we let someone else control us, we're committing the sin of idolatry. Let that sink in for a minute. We're committing the sin of idolatry because we're putting someone else above the sovereign God of all creation and we're allowing a mere person to misdirect us away from what God wants for us. That's why we pray, God, help me to set up some healthy boundaries. God, you're going to have to empower me to set up healthy boundaries. I can't do it on my own. I can't just choose to do it and follow through, and I'll fail. You've got to empower me. It's got to be you at work in me. And then the third, the third prayer we can pray 
when faced with control and manipulation. And this may be the most important one of all. This is the one that I'm hoping and praying that we all hear it, we all own it, we all live it out. Number three, God help me to see my own tendency to control and help me surrender everything to you. God help me see my own tendency to control and help me surrender everything to you. One of my cautions throughout this series has been and will be, make sure you don't get too zeroed in on them. Why? I've already talked about it twice. We're going to talk about it twice more before this series is done. All the time, every day, in one way or another, in one situation or another, with one person or another, all of us are them. You know what I'm saying? Now, I can't speak for you as to the details, but I can tell you about me. Here's the ugly truth. I'm a control freak. I have this deep, ungodly desire to control things. It, it would be, listen, with no effort whatsoever, I could stand up here every Sunday and preach a message that says, God loves you and I have a wonderful plan for your life. Because I want you to do what I want you to do. It's, it's true in my marriage. I want Vicki to do what I want her to do. I want my kids to do what I want them to do. I want our church to do what I want our church to do. And I want it all on my timetable. When it doesn't happen, or something breaks down, I can be just a little bit hard to get along with. The bottom line is this. There are two reasons why this is true about me. One is because I'm afraid. I'm scared to death of surrendering to someone or something else. And number two, because deep down, and I'm ashamed of this, I, I hate this, but the reality is that there are times in my life when I believe I make a better God than God does. But I'm also 100% sure I'm not the only one. I'm not out here in this boat by myself. If you find yourself wanting to be in control of a situation or a person, the chances are it's because you're afraid of letting go, of taking your hands off, of surrendering to someone or something else, and because you think you make a better God than God does. But let me tell you something. You're a lousy God. And so am I. We're terrible at being God. Because we just don't have what it takes. We don't have the eternal picture. We don't see the big picture. We're not capable of seeing from the beginning of time to all of eternity, no matter where it goes. And we're not strong enough, and we're not powerful enough to be God, and we're not pure enough or holy enough or righteous enough to be God. But that sure doesn't stop us from trying. Now, before you run out of here saying, dang it, Pastor Scott is one messed up guy. I should also tell you that I have lost count of how many times, especially over the last five years, how many times I have prayed, God, I, I give you this church again. <laughs> Sometimes I think it's, it's mine, but it's not, God, it's yours. I can't do anything with it. You can do everything with it. And Lord, I, I give you my family. Oh, dear God, I, I've got four 
teenagers driving now. God, help me, Jesus. <laughs> and I constantly pray, God, I, my schedule is so out of whack. God, I don't know what to do next. Lord, I trust you to be enough in me and for me. I trust you, Lord, to be enough. And your list may be different. Your, your list may be different, but I guarantee you that you're one of them. You're trying to control someone else. Maybe you, you got your thumb on your kids. Right? You got your, your thumb on your kids and you're putting pressure on them. You're not leading them. You're controlling them. And let me tell you something you may not know. They resent it and they want outs. And maybe you've got a marriage where you're passively, aggressively trying to get your way by pouting and threatening and withholding and using fear tactics. Can I just tell you, you're missing out on the marriage God wants you to have. You're totally missing out. It could be any one of a thousand different things. So here's what we do. We take that thing that we want to control. We take that thing that we've got a death grip on. And we say, God, this isn't mine. Lord, it's, it's yours. They're yours. They always have been. And I know I, I tried to control them, but they belong to you, God, and they have since the beginning of time. And by faith now, I, I take my hands off. I open up. I surrender this to you. The scripture says this. I love this. Isaiah 26, verses 2 and 3. It says, you will keep in perfect peace. God, you will keep in perfect peace Hey, raise your hand if you know anybody that's in perfect peace. Yeah, me either. I know some people who are in perfect turmoil, <laughs> perfect fear and anxiety. But the Bible says that God will keep in perfect peace who? All who trust in you. All whose thoughts are fixed, set, locked in on you. Because, see, when I'm trying to control things, my thoughts are fixed on what I can do, not on what God can do. Verse 4 says, trust the Lord. Trust it. Believe. Have faith. Take action on those things that you believe, those things you've placed your faith in. Trust in the Lord. How long? For how often? What does it say? Always. For the Lord is your eternal rock. The Lord is the eternal rock. So that means we trust in the Lord when we don't understand. And we trust in the Lord when our marriage isn't where we want it to be. And we trust in the Lord when we would rather take control of our finances and do things our way instead of God's way. And we trust in the Lord when we get a report from the doctor that we don't like. We trust in the Lord when our kids are going a direction that we don't want them to go. We trust in the Lord always, for He is our eternal rock. 
and rather than trying to manipulate everything and everybody to get it the way we want it, to get things the way we like it, we come under the truth of God's word and we surrender to him and we trust him to bring about his perfect will in his perfect timing and his perfect way. Bow your heads, please. Close your eyes.